John, are you speaking just regularly through your phone? Yeah, got uh, earphones on. Ah, okay. Hold it to your ear and let's see how that sounds. Bunker to bunker to bunker. Oh, much better. There, that's good. And you see, here we are. <laughs> that's great. That's it's groovy, man. Okay, we are rolling. Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Phil and Ted's guest today is actor and Hollywood star John Goodman, who shares stories from his beginnings to starring roles in hit motion pictures and television, including The Connors. And now, your sexy boomer hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet. Welcome to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show, Bunker to Bunker, special edition. <laughs> Today we're talking with uh, John Goodman, who is a, a dear friend for a long time, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, and and John's stuck down in North Carolina now, is that right? It's South Carolina, but who cares? The war isn't <laughs> over yet, so, you know, we understand. It never will be. And in case you uh, haven't heard of John, he's uh, just about America's finest working actor. And yes, as Phil said, a, a good old friend. How are you, John? I'm swell. I, w- I came here, I drove in from New Orleans, uh, got unpacked, got the groceries in, sat down, and the phone rang and told, them, told me they're pulling the plug on my job. Wow. It's called The Righteous Gemstones on HBO. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's very funny. I agree. Oh, thanks. But I guess God isn't on your side. Not, not, not this week. Maybe you've been smited for the blasphemy. <laughs> what are the, what's going on? Is it just nobody knows? I think they've got, uh, they had a, a few days shoot. And uh, yeah, right now we were supposed to uh, lay off for two months. And who knows? That, that, might, uh, that might work. I don't know. Are you planning to just shelter in place there yeah i live in new orleans which is like red dot central it's it's bad there yeah so we're just we're staying here it's beautiful um they provided a very nice place for us to live and uh so we're yeah we're staying put now, now, when you say we are you with molly uh, annabeth and molly annabeth is downstairs complaining about something on the telephone and, and uh, my daughter molly is is out on the coast as we as showbiz call it just sheltering at place with her boyfriend oh good i've looked at the young people hand in hand out here and you know in isolation zone feeling envy of like well you know that that if you had a good relationship it'd be pretty sweet yeah or, or, or not you'd just ruin it <laughs> melinda who sends her love to you john of course no. My darling wife, Melinda, uh, uh, I had mentioned, I said, you know, just imagine how many quarantine babies are going to be born after this. And she said, just <laughs> imagine how many divorces they're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Domestic issues are starting to, all the things that were there laying low level are now surfacing. And there are people are starting, you know, a week or two into the cabin fever. The marriage thing is becoming a real issue. I just, I just say yes, dear. Yeah, that's right. And usually you just let it go in one ear and not the other anyway. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm practiced at that. So it's, yeah, it's not a big deal. We're, we're, we're getting along famously. That's great. <laughs> You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with our special guest, John Goodman. We'll be right back. See that bear lapping up that good old country water? Sure makes a big hairy guy like me thirsty. That's when I wrap my lips around that tall, sweaty, edible bottle of good old country bear whiz beer. As my daddy said, son, it's in the water. 
That's why it's yellow. <laughs> Bear Whiz Beer. Bear Whiz Beer, liquid product of Andrew Bearwood's Brewery, Animal, Missouri. Now, uh, Johnny, before we get into uh, your career, <laughs> and, and I use the word <laughs> rear uh, uh, effectively <laughs> because we're, I'm going to look back a little bit. Uh, but before we do that, what are you actually doing now? Are you doing both the Connors and Righteous Gemstones? Yes. Wow. The Connors starts again. Well, last year it started in August. Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be rough when we get to uh, that time of the year. Because I'm, I don't know when they're going to want me back, but I, I probably won't be finished with this, so that'll be some off of a hiatus, hijinks. Do you know what it what it really means? How can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere <laughs> at all? Right? <laughs> you began really as an audio performer, didn't you, in New York? Well, I was in New York as a theater actor. I uh, had friends. Uh, one of whom, Richie Schulberg, had a, a show on WBAI called the Citizen Kafka Show. Right. He he was he was the eponymous citizen, and um, so we'd go on and uh, and drink and do uh, <laughs> just write. We'd prepare sketches like at the last minute, which is I think the way they're best done. But it was a lot of fun. When were you on BAI? What years were you doing Kafka? Around. Oh, between anywhere between 79 and uh, probably 84. And I would, yeah, 84, 85. I started my show at BAI in 84. It was called The Bernie Fleshkin Show, and it was also a complete improv comedy radio cartoon where we threw sound effects in and we were doing 10 phone calls, six performers, musicians, and, you know, four reel-to-reels, four cart machines. Yeah. And then they try to get us to uh, go on seven-second delay. And I was like, you don't understand. Right, right. <laughs> Can, cannot do that. <laughs> BAI was such a wonderful place. It was. I remember going there like late at night, and you had to use the service elevator. And this, this Ukrainian guy that looked like Tor Johnson yes. would, would run the elevator. <laughs> and he wouldn't speak. Yeah. He, he wouldn't speak. He'd just look at us. And, you know, I'm sure he was disapproving. But, and, and then we go. And it was so cool being in there late at night. Yeah. And and we always looked at the ceiling tile that was missing that supposedly Abby Hoffman knocked out. Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and Bob Fass used to come in and crawl under the console and just lay down on his back while we were doing our show. <laughs> oh, man. And it was so funny because we had... Because BAI was at 99.5, it had the strongest signal in the New York dial. Mm -hmm. So we had audience going 75 miles in all directions, and we never knew if anybody except at pledge time was listening. Oh, pledges, pledge drive, yeah. One performer, turns out we were like a favorite of the cab drivers. (laughs) Never knew that. But she was in a cab going uptown, and he had BAI on, and she said, oh, you listen to BAI? He goes, oh, yeah. She goes, yeah, I do a show. He goes, what show do you do? She said, oh, you know, something, you know, Bernie Fleshkin. He slammed on the brakes on 8th Avenue, just went to the curb, and turned to him and says, you know Bernie? <laughs> I, and the thing I always loved about that was that in 10 years, never broke character. And you could walk out of that building and know that you were completely anonymous. It was the best of both worlds. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was big fun. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to listen to any of this stuff now. <laughs> yeah. John, you, you have been anonymous for quite a long time now, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I had a little trouble with that at first. 
When did you first feel that you were anonymous? When you were doing Broadway shows or when you did, you know, no, your first movie? It was, uh, it was when the Roseanne show got popular. Of course. And then it was, uh, then I actually, I hired a press agent at the suggestion of my agent and uh, tried to get famous. Well, that sounds, um, sounds like you hired a depress agent. <laughs> yeah. but it also sounds like you got your your money's worth get my my suit and my pants as well yeah. um yeah it it uh it was kind of fun at the beginning and then and naturally i turned it into uh the bad end of the stick just uh complaining about everything i could i don't like being famous <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you've probably gotten used to it now and i'll tell you one thing that uh, over the many years that i've known you and the many things that i've had the pleasure of seeing you in uh live and you know theater and all you've always maintained a an absolute human reality you know we, we can always have a good old hug or a good old laugh and yeah you know and that's that's a sign to me that you're you're doing okay yeah yeah, I just I just like to have things to to complain about. You know, they 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 just handed me everything with a shovel, <laughs> and uh, you know, I, then I complain about it. Just, I I kind of got over that real quick, but uh, yeah, I, I tried to make it as difficult as I could. I think that that may have happened on one level because so much was coming at you so fast. You know, I mean, I I don't know anybody else's career that seemed to have taken off with with such uh, alacrity and and I was always amazed that you were able to handle that with the degree of humility that sh that you you have managed and that I think is because remember we talked about how you don't like to improvise on screen for instance uh you want to you know do those lines I think that has a lot to do with it that puts a lot of pressure on you as an actor but it also ensures that you can handle what's going on. The, the, the thing about improvisation, what it would happen, I like to do it in rehearsal. Yeah. Um, when it's fresh, when it's, it's spontaneous like that, I'm, I'm just no damn good at it. I, I, I tried it. And every time I wind up playwriting, you know, instead yeah. of just being there because I don't trust myself with it. And God, you know, I, I, I was in Chicago a few years ago doing a movie, and I, I, I went over to Second City to see if I could get some private lessons. Um, but I, I, I was working too much, and I, and I couldn't avail myself. Ah, sure. But it's it's something uh, it's something I'd like to get to. It, it's the nice place. Uh, ideally, we want to do our lines as though they're improvisations. Yeah. I was watching some video interviews last night just to remember a few things. And, and Big Lebowski, people found it very difficult for your character that you weren't improving, like in the bowling alley scene. And you say, no, I wasn't because the writing's so good. Well, we had the miracle of a couple of weeks of uh, rehearsing and wow. Wow. just reading the script to hear it. And they, they write so well. Yeah. They, they, that's, there's nothing one would want to improve on there. Uh, or or could possibly, but it it just reads it, it just reads that way, and it it, it like it's one of those films that's uh, one of those characters that's all on the page. You have to do nothing. I went to to print out information to re, you know to refresh my memory as well, and it, it printed out a book, 
uh, and I know you and I love you. And I had no idea how busy you've been. So out of all the things that you've done, uh, what do you think was the most fun? And, and what are your fondest memories so far? Holy smokes. Uh, there's a off-off-Broadway play I did in 1982 that was... Uh, probably the most fun i just did a well not just it's four years now did a play in london that i i it just couldn't have gone better wow um, for me i i just it just felt like that uh one of the things uh the henry the fourth that that you saw down yeah, in san yeah. diego i, I got to, to play falstaff and there were nights when um everything just clicked Oh you, yeah, you know that feeling where everything goes right and you have no idea what happened. Yeah, um, but it's stuff like that. That's right. Very true. Yeah, and and I the the really oh and your your Pozzo uh, in uh, Waiting for Godot, which Melinda and I also got to see with Nathan Lane right. and uh, uh, Bill. What's his name? Uh, er- Irwin. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was also one of those performances that at least it felt to me in the audience that everything was clicking. And I know that play pretty well. Uh, so I'm, did you oh, have well, fun doing that? Very kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things that I, I didn't trust myself enough. So I, I beat up on myself a lot uh, because I wanted every line to be perfect. Yeah. In that I knew it. I was on top of it. And because I pushed so hard, I, I was I struggled with it. Oh, I see. I, I was pushing for the wrong thing. Um, I was looking for results instead of uh, that that fabulous dialogue. Yeah, but you know, again, uh, the audience just gets the show. I learned a lesson a long time ago. I was doing this musical called An Amorous Flea. Right. But I got a cold and I, I had trouble with my voice. You had a similar situation uh, when you were doing Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Yeah. So I, I sang as well as I could. And afterwards, these two nice people came by and said, you were just wonderful. And I knew that I wasn't anywhere near the performance that I was capable of giving, but the fact that they loved it. I just took a deep breath and I never looked back after that. That's a lesson. Um, it took me forever to learn because when I was a little arrogant when I was like in college, somebody told me how well I did. You have no idea. I was uh, so far off. It's just, it's just raw arrogance ego but if somebody enjoys it like that and you knew that they enjoyed it it's there's, there's so much to be said for it. it's all to be said for that you must have spent some time thinking about the path that you've taken because you've really taken a heroic path uh, and and you stayed working all the time through all the changes that you've had to make all the decisions you've had to make but i think that your so-called arrogance was probably more of a defensive mechanism because of you had a, a pretty hard upbringing uh, losing your father at an early age right and you were a football star well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it was hard. <laughs> of course. You know, looking back on it, how the hell did we make it? Um, you know, the family, how did we do it? Uh, but yeah, I, it, it, it was uh, during the time I was just a kid, just a happy kid. Hmm. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that forms you. What made you decide to become 
an actor. Here's where it's starting to get weird now. I, I <laughs> may not. It. Uh, there aren't. Uh, there are no excuses. There's, it's something I, I felt a calling to do. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I would get kicked out of class and I, I would go into the library and read plays. Why? Uh, uh. I'm, I'm 14, 15 years old. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I, I you know, started reading O'Neill and Tennessee Williams. And I, I I couldn't tell you why. Wow. It's just stuff like that, weird stuff like that. My brother and I go get the New York Times on a, a Sunday morning. And uh, I, for some reason, I was glued to the the theater section. I like the way it was printed. And, and I like the Hirschfeld uh, cartoons. Mm-hmm. Just weird that, stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. It, it yeah. was just well, like I'm supposed to do this. Yep. Well, you, you are supposed wow. to do this. And, and the, the other thing that, that we have in common, because I always felt a calling to it as well. The first time I ever performed on stage in grade school doing the female role in, in Gilbert and Sullivan, Pirates of Penzance, I felt totally comfortable. No you know, kidding. did that happen to you? Uh, no, but I, I, I was doing Grandpa Vanderhoff and you can't take it with you in, in eighth grade. And oh, I yeah. I got my lines and, and I just, I started improvising a walk around this long dinner table. By the time I got back to where I was supposed to be sitting, I, I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my teacher just, my teacher just, uh, went nuts. <laughs> well, the thing is though, again, the audience doesn't know what's what's going on when i worked with uh, pat o'brien a summer tour of finian's rainbow and pat o'brien was a great movie star and very beloved and he was cast as finian and i was og and he was really uh, along in years at that time and every once in a while he'd go up on his lines and i would be like he you know thrown me to the ground or something and was getting ready to do some kind of a monologue and i'd look up and i'd see his eyes roll up and i'd go uh oh he's he's drying up and, and you know what he would do he would improvise extemporize because he was irish all right yeah. he had the he had the gift of gab and yeah. then he'd keep going until i i knew there was a point i could get him back online and i right and i throw a line in and on we'd go you know? and it worked but, yeah and it was a, a sense of freedom it was liberating yeah it wasn't like you know it wasn't terrifying <laughs> you're enjoying yourself now aren't you you sound pretty happy yeah i am you, and you said you were getting along and everything's fine but you know i was thinking <laughs> you were in 10 cloverfield lane and you know that came to mind and i was hoping you're not a method actor yep. ah. that, it was great because i got to do that in new orleans and sleep in my own bed every night. Is New Orleans your home in in your heart? I think so. That or St. Louis, but you know, that's where I'm from. And uh, I I moved to New Orleans because my wife was from near there, and mm-hmm. I figured I'm going to be on the road a lot, and she she could use that time to be with her parents. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Well, she well she was raising our daughter. It's one of my favorite places in the world too. I went to one jazz fest, and I went to 21 in a row after that. Yeah. yeah, it's just one of my favorite places in the world, and I would every once in a while we'd run into each other. But you were oh, heading right. off to the Derby the next day, the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, there, there, there was two years in a row I did that, and uh, 
I thought I'd be better off if I went to New Orleans, stayed in New Orleans. Uh, John, did you know that Melinda and I are both uh, Kentucky colonels? I, I I am as well. Are you too? Well, hello yeah. there, brother. <laughs> I give you the give you the secret handshake. The secret handshake. I'm doing it right now through the screen because I want to keep social distancing. All right. Yes. You see that? Good. And uh, uh, it means that you get free mint juleps if you go to the Derby. Is that right? <laughs> Not anymore. No, <laughs> just the mint. Yeah. Just the I'll mint. Just, I'll just have the mint. John, you look just so great now. And you've, it's congratulations because taking it off is tough, but keeping it off is much harder. And, and I'm thinking you're living in New Orleans. The one year ah. we did the one year <laughs> we did both weekends of Jazz Fest, I really was hovering with gout. I mean, I had to get out of town. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done that before. <laughs> it's like I cannot have another oyster. Oh, man. Uh, or a- anything fried. It's the <laughs> worst. It's, it's, the, it's the worst. Your foot feels like a nuclear reactor, and I used to get it all the way up my leg. Ooh. Wow. So how do you, I mean, I guess maybe that'll set you straight, but I'm wondering, you know, being in New Orleans, how do you... My wife's a great cook. I, I just, uh, ah. I don't go out that often. Uh-huh. You know, like like Harry Shearer and I will, and the wives will go out, and you know, pass pass an evening like that when the uh, friend comes through. But uh, I I don't go out that often. I probably I should avail myself more, but I'm just lazy. They were going to reschedule the Jazz Fest. First time it's ever been missed uh, for fall. Yeah. Given what this virus is all about, I would say we should be grateful if we're going to have one next spring. Mm. Yeah, I, I think so too. We, we don't know. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with our special guest, John Goodman. We'll talk more about the future of New Orleans and the pandemic and beyond, and much more, including rare fire sign comedy featuring John and Peter Bergman after this. Sometimes we own the zeros, and sometimes we own the ones. Hey, there's a 10 in my suit. Sometimes we own your shoes, and sometimes we own your souls. It's like walking on a cloud of fresh pork. Sometimes we own your mind, but we're always in your thoughts. It's a pig that looks like a locomotive and tastes like flowers. What do we own? Souls. Minds. Pork. Kind of. We're U.S. Plus. We own the idea of the idea of America. You're listening to Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show with your hosts, Phil Proctor and Ted Bonnet, and their special guest, John Goodman. New Orleans is so wonderful, yet it's so fragile and vulnerable, given the the unique social fabric, the health issues, and the long-term environmental challenges. The character you played in Treme so represented that what makes you love new orleans and what do you think its future is about uh the future i'm not sure of it's uh it's a non-essential town uh as far as any heavy industry or anything like that goes it it would be dismissed easily but it's a place where people love to go and they love the musical and culture is unbelievable uh given us our, our great american art form uh jazz and uh and gout. <laughs> um, you know, if if you're looking for for shipping, not so much anymore. Uh, I, it's a, it is a gateway to the uh, to South America. 
but I, I'm probably, I'm sure I'm wrong. There's a lot of industry there, but it, it, it's not what it was. Um, but, you know, it, 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 it'll never let you down as far as culture, food. Um, I used to say that there's, there's a part of every once in a while get somebody with something missing in their DNA and, and it, it connects when they go to New Orleans because nobody wants to leave. <laughs> in the marvel of uh, Jazz Fest, where every socioeconomic level, every walk of life are uh-huh. all together, happy, and there's no tension or violence because every human need is sated there. You've got music, you've got fat, sugar, salt, and it's happy. Everybody wants to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be there. They want to see people they saw last year, about two years ago or 10 years ago. Uh, yeah. it, it, and that get goes on. After the festival shuts down at 6.30 or whenever, and, and it goes to private residences, into the restaurants, they fill up. Mm, yeah. uh, people comparing notes. Um, yeah. It, it's just it's beautiful. Did you know Harry Anderson when he was when he had his club, Oswald? I never went to the, uh, it was called Oswald. <laughs> Oswald, yes. <laughs> Unfortunate title. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what this whole story is, but I think people resented Harry um, for moving into what was a popular club space. Uh, and it, it, it did end well. Well, Harry was a daring, always a daring person. And he, he was the first one, if something horrible would happen, my phone would ring and it'd be Harry and he'd tell some terrible joke about some awful <laughs> tragedy that had just happened and then he'd go too soon <laughs> and leave me hysterical on the floor when when uh siegfried and roy for instance had that unfortunate accident <laughs> yeah. right with the tiger yeah. he called up and he said pardon me roy is that the cat that tore your face off <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> John, he is the only man I've ever known who had two electric chairs in his house. <laughs> two. No waiting. It was part of his his sense of the macabre, right? Yeah, yeah. kind of like I when I did a television show with him many years ago, uh, which was called Sideshow. And it was, you know, it was one of those kind of dark comic uh, takes on on a world long gone now yeah. of the carny, you know, the carny world, and and he was very comfortable in that. But uh, it was the darn flu that took him out. They both got it. Elizabeth recovered. He had to go into hospital, and he had a little stroke when he was in the hospital. And when when Elizabeth told us about that, I thought to myself, here's a guy who has made his an incredible living as uh, doing magic patter with great sleight of hand. And now he can't talk and he can't use his hands. And I thought, mm, it's he's going to disappear. It's going to be a vanishing act. And sure enough, uh, I got we got a call and, and learned that he had passed away peacefully in his sleep with his two dogs by his side. And I think of him almost every day. It's a precious gift we have. It is. And I think we're really all realizing that now more than ever. Yeah. We want to get through this and we want to see what the what the new world might be because you know it's going it, to we're being rebooted, right? Yeah. John, do you think things are going to be a little different on the other side of this? Yeah, I just wonder for how long. And uh, economically I'm I'm very interested in it. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, I, th- I think uh, for a while people will be very close, and uh, then then we'll see. But uh, it, it'd be nice if there were some long term benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I'll be honest with you, I've had my nose down watching where my own footsteps are going, just to uh, to think about it much. Yeah. Yep. I think it's going to reveal a lot of uh, weak points in the country. The healthcare system, for one, being yeah. unique, uniquely for profit as a failure. Well, yeah. Anything that's that's not a huge corporation um, is doomed right now. The restaurants here in Santa Monica, you know, it's just a ghost town. And New Orleans, I think about the Maple Leaf. You know, how do these places stay alive uh, through this long delay? You hope that the the bailout supposedly is going to come to the banks, which will forgive the landlords, who yeah. will forgive the tenants, who will forgive the customers. That's right. That that's got to happen. We hope that the landlords are going to forgive the tenants. Um, I don't know. Here in Los Angeles, you wouldn't believe how beautiful the skies are. Oh yes. I took a picture of the Pacific, and somebody thought it was Hawaii. Wow. It was just so clear and blue. And as we're seeing this, and it's, it must be an environmental scientist's dream to be able to study this now. Yeah, right. The White House announces they're going to roll back the emission controls in right now. Yeah, they're, they're killing, killing the EPA. It's so tone deaf. It is. <laughs> Not that they care, because they don't. But, you know, I just wonder, are we going to, as a society, be able to overcome greed essentially it's it seems to me that if we all make this through and i think we will there's going to be some very interesting art that's going to yeah. come out of it i i you know i'd be very interested to see what kind of scripts come your way after this is over because i know you're you're a very humane person and you're going to want to you know to help with the healing process through through the the medium of our art yeah so th- that's what it's for is uh to reach out, to tell a good story and entertain, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 different facets of this plague are all are all going to be touched on, and it's uh, besides divorces and births, yeah. uh, there'll, there'll be there'll be some new stuff, and maybe a reduction of divisiveness and a little more compassion. Yeah, you do have an ideal platform with the Connors. Yeah, that show looks at serious issues like opioid addiction, uh, single yeah. parenthood. ICE, deportation, workplace compensation, same-sex romance, alcoholism, even toxic mold. I just looked it over, and I'm thinking, <laughs> and, and this is a comedy show? <laughs> so I would imagine it would be an excellent forum to address the, the craziness. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Um, we've been trying to, uh, you know, hit, hit middle America um, by reflecting it. Which is a little disingenuous in in my case. I mean, that's where I came from, but I still feel like I'm I'm uh, with the guys I grew up with. I'm just uh, one of the guys. It comes off in all of your work. You're beloved by your fans because you are a normal person with obviously a good heart, and you know they they trust you when they see you work. You know in your characters and oh, listen, John, you played some absolutely incredibly nefarious characters. You know, drug dealers and <laughs> what have you, and you've always managed to, at least to to me, to make me laugh <laughs> because as real as you are. There's something about somebody like you with your spirit committing so totally to to bad behavior. Do you know what I mean? It's funny. Yeah, it's it's, it's a nice release. And uh, do it as often as I can. But you, you've got to show uh, 
show more sides to the character. Sometimes that's just humor. When we were on our honeymoon in 2000 in Catalan, we wanted to do something, so we let's go to the movies. And Oh Brother, We're Out There was playing in a town called Girona. It was completely incomprehensible. <laughs> you have to hear it. Yeah. But it was such a funny experience to watch you in this beautiful setting beating the hell out of people yeah. occasionally <laughs> <laughs> with great music and not knowing what the hell was going on. Uh, I don't think I get what you mean, Big Kid. <laughs> yeah, right. Smack him over the head with a, a tree branch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Open your eye and take a look around you. <laughs> the way I remember you first, uh, John, was bursting out of the earth. Uh, or the mud, right? In, in Raising Arizona. That movie really changed my uh, feeling about movies, where they could go and what they could do. Raising Arizona. That was uh, uh, like the second uh, substantial role that I'd have. And I would, when I wasn't working, I'd go to the set just to see what those guys were doing because they made me laugh. Uh-huh. I think that's how I got the role. We, we sat in the audition for an hour just laughing about stuff and then read a little bit. Great. They, yeah, there are a couple of Midwestern, couple of Midwestern wise guys like me. You've done, uh, what, five movies with the Coen brothers now? Something like that? Go around there, yeah. Do they consult with you about, say, hey, John, I think there's be a fun part? They write for you, don't they? Oh, uh, they used to, yeah. Uh, um when they were getting started, uh, they, they had a, a small stable of actors that they knew and uh, most New York, uh, New York guys, theater guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, they, they wrote a couple of things for me. Um, but it, yeah, it was, it was wonderful. I have a treat for you guys. You remember back in the 90s, we all met when we were doing the Proctor and Bergman comedy service. Right. And you would come in and do these just terrific things. And in an homage to Peter Bergman, I have a bit that I want to play in the show here. Um, but because we're in a bunker, I'm going to have to play it through the speakers. Oh, thank you. Just make sure the speakers are, you know, uh, six feet away from the phone. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you and your social distancing. <laughs> here we go. Proctor and Bergman here in Hollywood with TV and movie star John Goodman. John, you requested that we conduct this interview in our offices. That's right. Uh, you see, I have a few occupations on the side just in case, God forbid, my fans should figure out that I really have no talent. That is a major problem in our industry. That's why I took up Feng Shui, the ancient Chinese art of arranging workspace to achieve prosperity through harmony and balance. Huh? Yeah. So I'll see that lamp over there. It's, yeah. it's not in balance with that chair. Well, we'll just move it then. No, no. We use Feng Shui. You sliced that lamp in two with your hand. Yes. The half remaining on the desk is in harmony with the chair. But without the light, we can't read. Yes, but if you sit in the chair and close your eyes, you'll see the harmony. Uh-huh. Now the computer, the printer, and the fax machine are not in harmony with the desk. John? Oh. I think he's having a Raising Arizona flashback. John, it's oh. fine. Disharmony or honor. Really, John? Yeah. <laughs> the Ralph Cramden wow on there. Yes. <laughs> I, of course, had an extremely long relationship with my dear departed friend, Peter Bergman, because we yeah. met at Yale. He was writing lyrics for musicals written by Austin Pendleton that I played the oh, lead, God. you know, I starred in. And ending up 
really, you know, with a, a over 50 year career with Peter Bergman after knowing him, I, it, it was, it's astonishing to me. And the fact that you became close with Peter, I think if I remember correctly, it was because he was raising his daughter, Lily, and you were raising your daughter, Molly, right? Yeah. So you had that in that human <laughs> contact yeah. in, in common, but you were really a, a wonderful participant in all the crazy stuff that we did, including uh, the the parody of Mist called Pissed, Pissed. right? <laughs> Which was an interactive uh, comedy game. Uh, and, and I had no idea what I was doing with it. I just did it because Pete wanted me to. You were so gracious. He and I managed to sell through the U.S. government a theatrical PSA when the government established the official sunscreen number rating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We hustled our way into that. Pete and I had an advertising business for years. And so somehow we got that, and we had a 35-millimeter film budget, a soundstage, the whole thing. We said, got to call John. Okay. So uh, you did this, and it was going to play in theaters around the country. And uh, and thank you, John, because I think we got the job because we said, we could probably get John. <laughs> <laughs> and then John was like, I don't know how to say this. I hope you get it the right way, but it was like you would do anything for Peter, and <laughs> and it was like almost like when you you have the poor pet family pet, they put the mask on and they go, oh, "Isn't that funny?" And the dog's like, "Oh Jesus!" <laughs> and, we, and we we put you in these hideous shorts and a Hawaiian T-shirt. The soundstage was made out to be a beach, and we found a hat. That was an umbrella. Umbrella hats, sure. And I'm thinking to myself, John's going to just leave Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and you were such a wonderful sport, which is great. Well, I, you know, there's a lot of respect there for you guys. Uh, you know, to me, that was uh, listening to you guys was akin to reading a, a Harvey Kurtzman a mad magazine uh, mad thing magazine. right yeah mm. which uh yeah i thrived on and it's the same thing with fire sign if i didn't understand the jokes i had to look things up <laughs> and that you know that i, I that would because i wanted to laugh so much and uh if i didn't know what they were talking about i looked it up and I thought, oh yeah oh that works. that's great when i was a kid in junior high mad magazine was, it was... my it saved me yeah and i would i would wait and remember what day of the month it would hit the stands and i would read it yeah. cover to cover without jumping because i did, wanted to savor every morsel and it really just completely formed my senses of wor the world and satire my brother walked about two miles to a newsstand that carried it to get the the very first one wow <laughs> the, the comic book yeah yeah oh wow yeah, I had I had a great collection. Uh, I had a subscription to EC Comics. Wow! And I actually wrote a letter to the Senate when they were uh, trying to shut all those yeah. things down, right? Uh, and yeah. And I had all those first editions. They were in a hamper in my uh, my room in New York, and uh, my mom put them down in storage in our building. <laughs> And they were thrown away. <laughs> my, reti oh. my retirement. My retirement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I interviewed Harvey Kurtzman in 76. Uh, no kidding. And he was just a sweet, funny man. What a cultural influence. Well, and the later people he worked with, like Robert Crumb and uh, Jerry Gilliam. Wow. 
Really? Yeah, uh, they work for Help Magazine. Yep, that that certainly was a tremendous influence on us. And for me, uh, Bob and Ray and Ernie Kovacs and uh, yeah. Gene Shepard and uh, Stan yeah. Freeberg, you know, all of the, uh, any of the people who were good at, at telling stories, good at pretending to be other people good at making fun of american culture you know and 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 that extra dollop of surrealism of of goon show yeah surrealism that did it for yeah. me that set me on this crazy path i've been on that's what always got me was the the, the surreal aspects just incongruous stuff it shouldn't make you laugh but it make me hot make me cry with laughter <laughs> just before they shut down i found a mad magazine at my library maybe two years ago and just sat down and read it, and it still, you know, it still had it. They, they, yeah. they, they, they maintained it. It's that spirit. But they're done now. They're just gonna. They were just yeah. gonna publish oldies, and then I think they even stopped doing that because I mean, it's print. Yeah, my gosh, Playboy yeah. is apparently gonna finally shut down. What, oh, really? Yeah. I mean, what am I gonna do? I look forward to those articles. <laughs> Every morning, <laughs> you know? holding them up with one hand. Yeah. <laughs> John, do you still have a place uh, here in LA? Yes, I do. Um, oh, good, good. Shortly after I got sober, uh, I got sober out in California, and I thought maybe it'd be a good idea if I if I had a place here, uh, so I won't be so far away from work. Maybe I won't be so lost. Uh huh. Um, or lost to to people. But it didn't do any good, but it, uh, it it's a nice place to uh, to live. It is. It's a lovely home that you have there. And and, and we, you know, we're speaking to, uh, you know, we're we're directing our show towards the baby boomers and older audiences, the underserved people, uh, regarding podcasts and anything now, because you know, when you turn sixty, you sort of become invisible. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when we were working on on Oz with Peter at a studio, and we went out for a smoke break. Yeah. And you were just, you know, we were just <laughs> hanging out. Guy just blocked traffic, got out of his car, ran over and said, I'm so happy to meet you. I play Fred Flintstone at Universal. <laughs> and, and, and I knew oh, how you felt about the Flintstones. Oh. And you were like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I hope I wasn't mean. No, we were just uncomfortable. I could see it, you know. And it was like, yeah. oh God, and things things you don't want to be known for. I, 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 I'm way too rough on that film, but maybe someday they'll make a comic version of it. <laughs> well, I have a little bit of a challenge today. Once we we uh, we end our conversation, last night. Uh, we've been watching a lot of great old movies on Netflix, okay? And I've seen movies I'd never thought I'd see, like The Pride of the Yankees. Oh, and Babe Ruth was a terrific uh, screen presence. And and you got to to uh, to play him in in Babe. And uh, did you uh, did you take a look at some of his movie work? You bet I did. Wasn't he something? Uh, well, he 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 really had a presence. He was magnetic. And it, it apparently just a funny guy with a, a heart the size of all of doors, love kids. That's right. Uh, but he, you, you, you're on the screen. You can't take your eyes off him. That's right. And uh, unfortunately, however, we have direct TV here. And yesterday, for some reason, our remote controls don't work anymore. Bah! Listen, uh, so what are we going to do? We're going to... We reached the end of Netflix. <laughs> 
I thought it was like the universe. There's always something beyond. Yeah. <laughs> Just turn around and go back. How are you entertaining yourself, John? Uh, reading. Reading. Wonderful. Uh, just, yeah, that, you know, going long walks, get some exercise, uh, and allowing myself to do nothing, which is, uh, it's easier than I thought it would be. Yeah. I, th I thought I'd be going nuts by now, but I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I've, I've been working pretty hard for the last few years, and it's, it's nice to, uh, shut it down. Yeah. I mean, I just so admire how, you know, you went sober and you lost the weight and you just seem so happy or happier, I should say. For people who are in our audience, it may be dealing with that. And likely there are many, especially now being shut down and probably, you know, uh, nervous eating and, and feeling very anxious. Yeah. Anything you'd like to say as far as, I mean, how did you do it? Well, it, it's a, it, the cliches that they put up in the meeting. Actually, they're cliches because they work. And it's easy, does it, and one at a time. Um, I can't tell anybody to stop drinking, or they have to come to that decision themselves. I, after a while, kind of had no choice. I was killing myself, um, but I was I was tired of it. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. Mm. Good, good. Uh, and I, I got help. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what to say except. Uh, if, if, if you're reaching for a drink right now or something like it, just stop and think, what, what is it that you really want? Mm. Mm -hmm. We're all very proud of you, John. It's, it, it's the, the thing that touches me is there were so many people that were concerned and I would naturally take that I'd get defensive with it because it was embarrassing. But um, I'm so grateful for everyone. Nobody does it alone. I think we've kept you long enough, John, although I certainly think we should maybe do this again when we get to the other side. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's always great talking to you guys. Yeah, it is great to catch up. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yep, you, you bet. And how. Uh, be well. Stay safe. Thank you. Love you, John. Love you, too. Thanks, guys. Bye, Bye John. Bye-bye. You know, it's, it's really very significant for me and very moving to uh, have had such a long extended friendship with... Uh, a man of John Goodman's enormous talents and kindness and sense of humor. Yeah. It's really astonishing that he has maintained his humility. Mm -hmm. And he did speak about, you know, it wasn't easy for him to accept his success, you know. But I, I believe uh, that he is in a very good place right now. Yeah. I'm sure some of that was communicated in our conversation because what you hear is what you got his uh, nickname is not goody for nothing phil proctor hey thank you so much i'm ted bonnet please join us for another exciting episode of phil and ted's sexy boomer show until then goodbye you've been listening to phil and ted's sexy boomer show featuring phil proctor and ted bonnet and special guest john goodman Bear Wiz Beer and US Plus were written and performed by the Firesign Theater. Feng Shui was written by Proctor and Bergman and performed by John Goodman and Peter Bergman. Music by Eddie Betos and the Nervous Brothers. I'm A. Ernest Guy. Join us for the next episode of Phil and Ted's Sexy Boomer Show. Produced by RadioPictures.com, the makers of fine podcasts for boomers. Okay? Okay. Hello. 
Seekers. If you like what you just heard, share it with your friends. If you still have any. And here's a great gift idea. Phil? Thanks, Ted. Uh, and, and dear friends, if you can afford a couple of bucks from the money you used to pay for gas, please go to our dedicated page at sexyboomershow.com and contribute by clicking on the PayPal button. And you don't even have to wear a mask. Uh, unless, Ted, it's an anonymous donation. You see, our nefarious plan is to build enough subscribers to earn sponsor support so we can send your money back. Yes, send your money back. Not! And if you need any more of the Sexy Boomer Show to survive this historic time hunkered in your bunkers, please subscribe to our podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on this page. You know, every subscription brings us closer to success and forces us to record another silly show. You can follow our Sexy Boomer Show on In Your Facebook to join the conversation and even add comments at a safe distance. Just search Sexy Boomer Show on Facebook. And remember, now more than never, your vote counts. Unless we don't count them. You can always reach Phil and me personally by email at info at sexyboomershow.com. That's right, Ted. We check our junk mail every day. And you can check our website at sexyboomershow.com to learn more and find past podcasts and all sorts of little goodies. Or if you're a twitwit, track us on Twitter for upcoming show announcements and special messages at Boomer Sexy. We're everywhere, like the virus. But we promise not to kill you. So until we meet again, we're going back to the shadows again. So long, little buddies. Where the vegetables are green and you can pee into the stream. And that's important. We're going back to the shadows again. Mm-hmm.